Good morning. We're glad that you're with us here today. Welcome to those of you who are following along online this morning. We're working our way through a series uh, looking at our core values as a church, taking each one in turn, digging into the scriptures that, that form them and inform them. And as a people that are transformed, as we are transformed by the, the gospel of Jesus, we want to look at how that gospel, this core message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, his invitation of us to be his people, how that bears fruit and shows itself in these things that we say we value. Last uh, Two weeks ago, we opened with God's word highlighting that we believe God's Word is our first and final authority. Last week we looked at multiplication, that we believe this gospel is multiplicative, it multiplies, it goes somewhere. That as disciples of Jesus, those who have responded to this gospel by faith, we are used by God to make disciples who make disciples in view of a church that is growing and multiplying. Every disciple making disciples, every church planting churches. And today, we're looking at the core value of community. We believe that the church isn't a building, but is made up of people. And this gospel, this multiplying gospel that's been revealed to us through God's word in the person of Jesus Christ, this gospel is tested and applied in the context of community. The challenge for us is that we are bent towards individualism. Perhaps because we are products of the Enlightenment of the 17th century. Philosophers like John Locke, who pioneered what's known as the theory of the mind, developing ideas of self-identity and just the idea of self in general, it has had great influence over the culture we live in, including our, uh, as, a, as a United States, uh, our very Declaration of Independence is influenced by this philosophy, the idea of God-given rights and and self-governance. And to be sure, there is legitimacy to this sense of purpose and personal responsibility and self-determination. It can fuel good works. It can fuel progress and fuel human flourishing. But like everything that is not God, our individualism can also be overrealized and can be a hindrance sometimes to our understanding. In this case, I want to contend... That our bent, our leaning towards individualism often hinders our ability to actually live out and fulfill this identity we, we share as one body in Christ Jesus. See, God's word calls us to community as members of one another. We're going to look at that here in a second. And this has significant implications in how we live as this gospel is applied among us. Before we read, I'm going to pray, um, and then we'll open up God's Word together. So would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for this morning. grateful that in your divine kindness have brought each of us here today, not by accident or by chance. And so we ask that you would accomplish what you set out to accomplish today in each of our hearts. Speak to us through your word, by the Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now to unpack this value, we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the church in Rome. So you can turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 13. Um, You can 
Turn there in your Bibles or on your apps. It'll be on the screen as well. And as we've done the last couple of weeks, um, we thought it'd be good to have some other voices reading God's Word. So I asked Andrea if she'd read uh, our passage this morning, Andrea Hogstead. Um, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3 through verse 13. So if you want to follow along, um, that'll be our passage for this morning. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Thank you, Andrea. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. As I started, I'll say it again, I I think our individualistic approach to life often hinders our ability to live out our shared identity as one body in Jesus. But this is exactly what God's word calls us, one body. We, We share something together that outside of Jesus, we, we wouldn't or we don't. So, so I'd like to look at this idea of shared identity, specifically this idea of a body consisting of members who belong to one another. And, and I want to look at a little bit of why we're highlighting this. Why is this significant? And what are the dangers of not maybe seeing this properly? What, so what if we miss it a little bit? But I also, in that, I want us to see that there's a beauty that we miss in what I'm calling gospel belonging. The unique marks of disciples of Jesus who belong to each other. So that's where we'll go today as we work through these 11 verses from uh, Romans chapter 12. The, the kind of two big points, if you will. One, the, the problem of disconnected parts. And two, the beauty of gospel belonging. Now Paul is writing to the church in Rome. And in chapter 12, he's starting this section on how those who are saved now live. In the previous chapters leading up to 12, Paul is building this beautiful case for for God through Christ Jesus. The Father through Christ Jesus, the eternal Son, is building for himself a people. Not just Jews, but Gentiles as well. And, and, And this salvation 
that God is offering people is mind-blowing. This is how Paul talks about it. Romans 11.33, he says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable are His ways. The fact that God would would do this is mind-blowing. That's the argument Paul's making. By the way, if you can find a way to get inscrutable into your vocabulary... Many more points for you. Right? And then he opens up Romans chapter 12. Therefore, in light of all that God is doing and making for himself a people from both Jews and Gentiles, grafting in, bringing in those who were far off and making them part of the family. Therefore, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, therefore, present your bodies as living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to the world. And the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the therefore in the first part of Romans 12. And then in verse 3, where we pick it up, Paul gets at the heart of how this body of bodies, how this community of minds being renewed is to live. And that's where he identifies the first potential problem. Look at verse 3. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. This is Paul saying, no offense, but I'm going to offend you. Right? Don't you love that phrase, no offense? Like you know what's coming. And Paul says, by the grace given to me, I'm telling every one of you. And he couches what comes next, which might be a little harsh, in grace. Basically saying, this is for your good. This is for your growth. He says, I say to everyone among you, old, young, male, female, elders, new believers, parents, children, anyone who's listening along with the church here in Rome, I say to you, he says, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul is cautioning against a lopsided view of self. Almost as if he thinks we might have a problem with thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. It's a novel idea. Now let's be honest for a second. I won't ask you to raise your hands. But don't we find ourselves on the receiving end of that careful critique more often than we'd like? More often than we care to admit? I mean, clearly our idea is the the better idea. Clearly my perspective is the correct perspective. The most level-headed, the most balanced perspective. Clearly I'm the better choice for the promotion. My preferences and my opinion should hold more weight than theirs, whoever they are, because fill in the blank. This happens at our house sometimes when it comes to family movie night. We have five kids, so we'll try to order order a pizza, throw out some options for a movie, and getting two or three people to decide on what to watch or what to eat is hard enough. There's seven of us. So inevitably, we can rally, you know, five out of the seven total. I mean, two adults, five kids. Five out of the seven of us will say yes to whatever the movie choice is. And inevitably, one person goes, yeah, no, I don't want to watch that. Right? Now, I'm not making the case for mob rule here, but, 
but highlighting the problem of, of throwing out the wrench of preference all the time. Our preferences, opinions, ideas are always the best ones, aren't they, from our perspective? And we'll either press them loud and often, or what we tend to do, I think, is we tend to keep them to ourselves and then just resent others when it's called Minnesota nice or North Dakota nice, also known as passive aggressive, also known as thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. See, Paul says, I I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And then he gives us a framework to help us, which is so great. Rather than just shooting at us, which Paul could do, he's like, let me help you with that. You have a little problem. And here's what he says. But think with sober judgment. Sober judgment here is level-headedness, reasonable perspective is needed to be reasonable sometimes. We're not all in the same place, and so we need to work for objectivity and reasonableness in our self-assessment. Why? Paul gives us the why, too. Look at verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So though many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. See, we are, we're cautioned to think of ourselves rightly. Why? Because we are members of one body. We each have different functions. Now, this isn't the only time Paul talks about this. It comes up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as well. He gives the example of an ear who shouldn't be upset because he isn't an eye. Because if the whole body was an eye, how could it hear? And Paul says, God is the one who makes us one body. God is the one who gives us grace and faith. God is the one who gives gifts for use in this body. And so we use those gifts in proportion to our faith. Being of one body and seeing ourselves in that way guards against a disconnected individualism. The ear can't say to the eye, I don't need you, or vice versa. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. They work together. We aren't merely a collection of disconnected parts. Are you familiar with Mr. Potato Head? Does that still exist? Okay, it did when I was a kid, and then they like revisited like Mr. Potato Head and Friends. When my kids, like there was a tiny carrot, some other things. No? Okay, Mr. Potato Head, you, you understand where I'm going with this? Mr. Potato Head talking with Pastor Devin this week, and, and he brought this up. Uh, we've long since mo- we've moved on from the Mr. Potato Heads amongst, like, we used to have one. We don't anymore. I'm pretty sure it got sold at a garage sale. But you can picture it, right? Plastic, potato-shaped torso filled with tiny plastic body parts, arms and legs and eyeballs, mustache if it's Mr. Potato Head, hat with the flower if it's Mrs. Potato Head. spread out, well, either just disparate parts in a box, or if it was my house or maybe yours, spread out around various parts of the house. You find, like, an arm under the couch or in the dog bowl. Just me, right? 
It's not really a Mr. Potato Head if it's just parts spread out all over the house, right? That's the idea. He's just a collection of plastic parts. See, we're not allowed to disregard parts of the body that we deem less important and just attempt to get along without them. We can't just disregard them as if they don't matter. And we can't eject ourselves from the body and just be like, nope, I'm the feet, I'm good. The feet alone aren't Mr. Potato Head. The arm isn't. The mustache isn't. See, both of these attempt to disconnect the parts from the body, and neither of them works very well. Disconnected parts or an empty potato-shaped brown plastic torso. See, God in his divine mercy and his unsearchable judgments is building a people. Who we are as feet and hands and eyes and ears. Who are we to say to our maker, I don't like that you made us this way. We don't need that part or thanks, but I don't need the rest of the body. I'm, I'm fine on my own. Look again at verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and, and individually members one of another. See, it's easy, I think, to see ourselves generally as part of a larger body. I think there's a, that's mostly a safe option to go, yeah, I kind of like these people. We get along well enough. What's more challenging is that Paul doesn't just say that we're part of a body. We can get our heads around that, like, okay, someone's a hand, someone's a foot, someone's an ear. Cool, we all work together. Yay, Jesus. But this isn't just like blanket collectivism. No, look at it. It says, we belong to the body, Paul says, and individually we are members one of another. We belong, each of us, to each other. This is perhaps the the harder part of this passage, right? The idea here is that we belong to each other. We are members of one another. You might be asking, what does that mean? Well, not only do we share an identity, one body together, we also share responsibility for one another. We talk about this with couples as they prepare to get married. You don't lose your individuality when you get married, but you simultaneously give up the right to just do whatever you want, right? You're committing yourself to another. You don't just collectively belong to the marriage. You both now belong to each other. So love and service and self-sacrifice and accountability are all intertwined now. We talk about it with our family. We, we tell our kids, you don't just belong to the family, you belong to each other. So the way that you interact and the way that you live together is for your good and your growth and your joy. This is where Paul is applying the same way of thinking to the body of Christ. You are members one of another. You belong to each other. Now again, you might agree with that statement. But what does this look like practically? See, I think we have a tendency to make decisions in a vacuum and then just inform people of our conclusions. Right? How many times has it happened to you where someone you were close to just informed you that they're getting a new job 
or, or that they're moving away or we're contemplating maybe changing community groups or stopping doing that thing that you guys did together. Or maybe kind of like out of the blue, you find out from someone who you thought you were close to that their relationship is in trouble and that they're separating or getting a divorce or they're just making some other really big life decision. And for you, it came out of nowhere. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that's happened to you, right? And often the, the, the conversation starts with, well, you know, we've been, we've been thinking about this and we've been praying about this for a long time. And yet the people who, who, with whom we're supposed to be close to have no idea. Now, now I don't want to push this too hard. But I do want to push it a little. I'm not saying that other godly people weren't involved in the process. I'm not saying that there's a quota of people that each decision must meet before it's made. Like, well, you didn't check with me, so therefore... I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is I think we often fail to walk in this shared identity as members of one another far too often. And I think the reason we do that is because we don't actually see ourselves as members one of another. We're too comfortable as disconnected parts. And I think we have a misunderstanding of what belonging kind of looks like. We, we conflate attendance with belonging. I'm here, therefore I belong. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I'm super glad that you're here. See it on my face. I am glad that you're here. And I know that the community groups that you're a part of, they are glad that you're a part of that group. I'm willing to bet that every host and group leader who has you in their group would affirm their love for each of you who attend the groups in their homes and the groups that they lead. But, but belonging and unity in, in the church is more than just all the different parts making one body. It isn't less than that, but it isn't just that. You don't just join a community group, you belong to one. You don't just join as a church member, you belong to a church. Even more clearly, you submit to a church. And not just to submit to the church leadership and its statement of doctrine, you submit to other brothers and sisters in Christ. You together are submitting to Christ as the head and us as the collective shared body. You're accountable to them and they're accountable to you and together you're accountable to Christ. John Piper says it this way, the unity of the church is more profound than being part of the same organic whole. It's being part of each other, individually members of one another. The church is greater than just the sum of its parts. So practically, how can we, how can we grow in this? A couple of things came to mind this week as I was processing through this. What would it look like to have a deeper level of accountability amongst those in community? That there is a deep and appropriate level of confession and self-disclosure in community groups where people's sins and fears can be brought out into the light so that the light of the gospel can be applied. I know this happens. It's happened in the community groups that I'm a part of. It happens in uh, one-on-one and one-on-two personal relationships that I have with brothers and sisters here at River City. And I pray that happens for you as well. But I think that's important. I think it should. Oh, taking it one step further, what would it look like to have an, uh, an even more intentional involvement in the lives and life decisions 
that we're making as we are members of one another. This is where it starts to get uncomfortable, right? We, we tend to hold back on if we're going to have a baby telling people baby names because what if they don't like it? And I don't really care if they don't like it. This is the name we're picking, right? Or, or this is a decision we're going to make and it might not be very popular. So we're going to hold off until, well, now you can't say anything because the wheels are already in motion, See, we need the collective gifts and wisdom of the body that God is building around us. See, my ideas and my perspective isn't always the best. I have dumb ideas. So do you. I have a tunnel vision sometimes on things. I need other people to go, hey, Jake, that's dumb. You laugh, but it's true. And guess what? So do you. Right? I need others who can speak into my life, who can ask me questions, who can give perspective, who can keep me from making decisions in a vacuum, unaffected by anyone else around me. I wouldn't make a decision to sell our house or change neighborhoods or change jobs without talking to my wife and consulting with her and praying. Like, I should do that, right? That's the nodding head. Like, yes, Jake, you should do that. Please talk to your wife about large decisions. Or even my kids, right? The decision to move involves them too. But we tend to think that those decisions don't affect anyone else. Why is that? Well, it could be. And we think of ourselves and our perspective more highly than we ought. Or it could be that we've just never really considered it. And I want to ask us this morning to consider that perhaps we belong to each other in a much more significant way than we tend to think. Marty Lindstrom puts together our community group questions each week, and I don't want to step on his toes, but... But what if in community groups sometime in the next couple of weeks, we, we set aside some extended time to appropriately but honestly share some of the burdens we might be carrying. They might be joyful burdens. They might be heavy burdens. But then spend some time just praying for one another in those things. Letting the body, those to whom we are members of, speak into those things or just sit with us. And encourage us in those things and not carry them alone. See, I think when we, when we start to see ourselves this way, when our perspective on our shared identity starts to shift, our response changes. This is what I'm, I'm calling the beauty of gospel belonging. The, the gospel of Jesus is, is tested and applied in our community practice. Here's what I see is beautiful. Where... Paul says, members of one body and members of one another. Look at verses 6 through 8. Paul gives this little snapshot. It's not exhaustive, but this little snapshot of gifts given by God, used to serve the body. And these gifts are shared amongst many in the body in various proportions. And Paul says in verse 6, let us use them. I had a conversation with a young woman this week uh, who works uh, with a campus ministry, and she's gifted at getting to the heart of an issue in a conversation or in a discussion. Applying God's word in a timely one-on-one or in small group kind of settings. And I said to her, I'm so glad that God has you here. You're contributing not just on the college campus, although you are, but you're contributing in your community group. Using the gifts God has given you to, to speak into and encourage and build up And press into those people with whom you belong. That's awesome. Let us use them, Paul says. Now one quick word here. Of all the examples that 
Paul gives, one might stand out. Paul lists things like service and teaching, exhortation, generosity, leadership, acts of mercy. And those are like, yeah, okay, I get those. But notice Paul opens with prophecy. Now, we're not going to go in depth on what are called the sign gifts today. It's another series, things described in the New Testament like prophecy, tongues, and healing. But what I will say are these two things. One, we consider ourselves at River City soft continuationists. Meaning, we don't believe that those gifts have necessarily ceased, even if they're not as active in the church today with our own eyes. And we would frame our approach to those uh, sign gifts as open but cautious, meaning that the Spirit of God can gift and work as He sees fit, and that we will strive for wisdom and discernment in our approach. We would consider ourselves in alignment with Pastors like Sam Storms or John Piper on that particular issue. And we'd also consider it what we would call a non-essential issue. Not unimportant, but it's not a hill we're going to die on. So if you'd like to dive into more of that, we can do that another time. You can email marty at rivercityfargo.org. And um, we can talk about that. Just kidding, you can email me too. Two. I've read that when John Piper is about to preach, he says that he frequently prays something like this. I think I put the slide up there, but maybe not. He says this, Lord, bring to my mind truths about yourself and about this text and about this people that I will be able to say in such a way that they will pierce with unusual, I might say, prophetic power into their lives. This has changed the way I both prepare and pray for myself and I pray for you as I prepare to teach on Sundays. My goal here is not just to give you information that you can take home, but I pray that the Spirit of God will work deeply in my study and in preparation, will work boldly here in the pulpit, and that He will work powerfully in your heart every Sunday morning. So that when I I read verse 6, I pray, God, give me the faith to speak prophetically your truth to your people that you might accomplish your purpose in their lives. Perhaps as you go into the week and in the places and conversations you have, at work or in your community group, you can pray that prayer as well. Now, this also doesn't say that only one is teaching or only one is generous, but serving and teaching by faith, giving exhortation or being generous when God gives us the opportunity, being cheerful in our mercy. Meditate on that one a little bit. Just take that one home. Reluctant or cheerful mercy. We'll talk about that in a couple uh, next week. That God has given us and apportioned things for us to serve and care for and build up the body. And all of this is marked by what Paul calls calls brotherly affection. We haven't even looked at verses 9 through 13 yet, and you're already probably looking at your clock. But look what he says. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. This, This phrase here, brotherly affection... It gives the, the feeling of, of tenderness. Not even just like brotherly love. Philo, this Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. Not even that word. This brotherly affection is a, is a deeper, personal kind of love and affection. And look at the, the rest of verses 10 through 13. Becomes like a list of like expressions of this love. Things we can do. Look what Paul says. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
Don't be slothful in zeal. So the positive of that. So be zealous. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and in trials. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. All of these are things we can do. And as a point of application today, personally, or maybe even as you gather in small groups, look at these things. Talk about these things. How well do these do we do these? Where are we strong? Where are we weak? Right? That, that's a, it's a good barometer of sorts. Ask the Holy Spirit to work in you faith and give you grace to walk in these things. But don't neglect the first part of verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. And here's the challenge. Tender affection is a feeling. But let's not say, well, I can't control the feelings. No, God's Word can say something to us about how we feel. I can do all those other things, but but what if I don't feel tender affection for someone? Letting God's Word press in, even on our feelings. Because if I have a tough time feeling tender affection for a brother or sister in Christ, I want to contend that perhaps I don't actually see myself as a member of them or them of me. I think that's what Paul's getting at. Because when we do, we react differently. Again, John Piper highlights the the beauty of, of gospel belonging like this. He says, just picture what would happen if I got shot in the left shoulder. My right hand would immediately and instinctively reach up for my left shoulder. Just as immediately as if my hand itself felt the pain. The members of my body are members of each other because they are so much a part of each other's pain and pleasure. He goes on, he goes, if my eyes see a baseball coming 90 miles an hour at my head, my back and stomach muscles react with a ducking motion. And none of these reactions are the result of a long chain of arguments or reasons why it would be good to help. Right? My, my back and my, and my abdomen don't go, hey, you know what? Jake might get hit in the head here we should probably form a committee and decide how much energy are we going to exert to keep him from concussion. No, they react. Why? My whole body is trying not to die in that moment. Right? Members that belong to one another instinctively respond to and work together. See, we can talk about that long list of one another's or or the list that Paul gives us of this is how the body kind of can function together. And that's good. Take that with you. Pray for one another. Care for one another. Bear one another's burdens. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. But we will only do those things to the depth and proportion of our sense of shared identity. The feeling of brotherly affection and the actions that follow are directly related to our sense of belonging together to one body and individually members of one another. Jesus tells his disciples in John 13, verse 35, the rest of the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Brotherly affection. The rest of the world uh, will know not in how good your arguments are, not in how much good you do in your community, although good arguments and good works are good things, but your identity as a disciple of Jesus is on display in your affection 
for one another. What we believe about the gospel of Jesus is tested and applied first at home, in our own community. There are people in this church community that look and think differently than you do. That vote differently than you do. That have different preferences and opinions. And Paul says, we belong to each other. Now this is not, where do we find ourselves on the place on the continuum between individualism and collectivism? This is an altogether different and unique reality for disciples of Jesus. This is a cross or counter or outside of the culture kingdom that we're talking about here. Rather than defaulting to individual preference, rather than defaulting to to self-focused independence, we humbly and we joyfully join ourselves to one another, growing in our identity as one body in Christ. It is rooted in this miraculous thing that only God can do in taking a a, a spread out, disparate, uh, spread out around the house collection of plastic body parts and forming them miraculously into a body. And not just a body, a functional body, one that works. And as we see the picture through the scriptures, one that's beautiful, one that is cherished, one that the groom, Jesus himself, comes to receive a beautiful, pure, spotless bride. This is why we're going to wave the banner for community groups as a place to practice this gospel identity. Why we'll champion it. Why we'll call you to consider being a part of these uh, imperfect groups of people. That's why we're going to champion being a consider membership at River City, putting into practice the call to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ that comes from Ephesians chapter 5. See, it's in these things that I think we'll be able to more fully taste and see the beauty of the gospel and what it means to, to have gospel belonging as we embrace our shared identity as members of one body and we grow in our membership and belonging to one another. May the Holy Spirit deepen and strengthen the community that he's building here for the glory of the Father, for the joy of Christ, and for the joy of his church. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the miraculous work that you are doing through your Holy Spirit to fashion for yourself a people from every tribe, tongue, and language, wayward, wandering, and in your kindness are fashioning a a beautiful, functional people. Father, I confess... I'm far too confident in my own ideas, in my own self. And I suspect that's probably pretty common. So Holy Spirit of God, would you strip away from our 
lives, the places where we are far too confident, where we think far too highly of ourselves, to throw ourselves in the mercy of Jesus, who redeems and heals and establishes. Reset our perspective and our vision on you that we might joyfully and humbly link arms together. That we might see, get tangible places to see your gospel, your good news, and the grace that comes to us through it on display as we live life together. In whatever way you deem fit, however you've uh, chosen to put us together, to place us here at this season, in this time. Help us to see ourselves not just as parts of a larger whole, but as belonging to one another. This beautiful, beautiful body that you're creating. Work in our hearts now by the Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.